this is not the sermon that I had intended to preach this week. So I found out on Thursday, like our committee found out, and I thought, I've got to retool now. That sermon that I plan to preach today really can wait for a few more weeks. You guys need to hear a different message today. But what's interesting is I'm going to use the same passage of Scripture because God had me in Isaiah 45 all week this week studying for a different message from the Questions from God series because there's a great question from God in that passage. But, but this passage of Scripture from Isaiah 45, you want to go ahead and find your Bible. We're going to look at that in a minute together. This passage of Scripture is so appropriate for us today. And just like God and his sovereignty, he puts all these pieces together and often we can't see it until we look back on it and then we see his perfect plan unfolded in our lives. We can't always see it. We're in the middle of it, but we can often look back on it and see that. And so this morning, um, if you want to go ahead and find that, what you'll see in the book of Isaiah in chapter 45 is you'll see that, um, that Isaiah, like Jeremiah, the last two weeks we talked about, is a prophet. He's someone that God called to go to his people and to speak to them and say, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. Because as I said last week, they often heard the word of God only at the temple or the synagogue. They didn't have a scroll with all the Old Testament books in it. In fact, some of the Old Testament books weren't even written. Some of them were the prophetic books that we're reading from now. And so God would send a human being to them to stand up often in very public places like this and in the, in the gates of the city and yell, this thus says the Lord. So people would listen to him and he would speak to them about what God liked or didn't like about what was going on with his people. And oftentimes, like us, they became disappointed with God and they wandered away from him. And so this morning, it's great to come to God's word and see that God is not surprised by this. You think about what Jeremiah said last week to his people. He said, what injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? Now, that's what happens when we misunderstand God. Sometimes we get disappointed. And that could be true for you this morning. I don't want that to happen in your life. I know you're disappointed, but I don't want your disappointment with this news this morning to turn into disappointment with God because God hasn't changed. He's the same God. We were all hoping we were getting close, and so was I. New chapter. It's going to happen, just not yet. <laughs> and so what you see in Isaiah 45 is you see God speaking directly to a man named Cyrus. Now, the interesting thing about Cyrus is Cyrus is not a Jewish man. He's a Gentile. And at the time that Isaiah prophesies this, Cyrus isn't even born. In fact, it's about 150 to 200 years before Cyrus is even born, and God is speaking to him, and he's not even born yet. Amazing. So this morning, if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to Isaiah 45, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. So why don't you stand with me out of reverence for God and for his word, and you follow along silently, and I'll read these verses aloud to us. The Lord says this to Cyrus, his anointed, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue the nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors before him, and even city gates will not be shut. This is God speaking. I will go before you, speaking to Cyrus, and level the uneven places. I will shatter the bronze doors and cut the iron bars in two. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you, Cyrus, may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who calls you by name. Verse 4, I call you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob, speaking of Israel, and Israel, my chosen one. I give, you, I give a name to you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord. There is no other. 
There is no God but me. I will strengthen you, though you do not know me, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no one but me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Heaven, sprinkle from above and let the skies shower righteousness. Let the earth open up so that salvation will sprout and righteousness will spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Verse 9, woe to the one who argues with his maker, one clay pot among many. Does clay say to the one forming it, what are you making? Or does your work say he has no hands? Woe to the one who says to his father, what are you fathering? Or to his mother, what are you giving birth to? Thank you. You can be seated. So we think about this story, this situation where God addresses Cyrus Cyrus is going to become ultimately the king of Persia. He's going to become one of the most successful military leaders the world has ever known. He's going to eventually conquer Babylon. When he talks about here that God says, I'll go before you and I'll break the iron doors and break the bars. He's speaking about Babylon. He's saying, I'm going to give you victory over the greatest force in the world right now. Because if you'll remember, God had exiled his people as a form of discipline in their lives from Jerusalem, their beloved city, to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had come into Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem and burned the city and taken the Jewish people out to live in Babylon. Well, God is going to use Cyrus to conquer Babylon and and Cyrus is going to release God's people to go back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And Cyrus is even going to help rebuild the temple. So Cyrus is this choice servant of God that God has said, I'm going to use to deliver my people back to the promised land. So it's amazing what you see here in this story is one huge overarching idea, and that's this. And Lanny said it a minute ago, that God is absolutely sovereign. Absolutely sovereign. You know what that means? That means that God is absolutely in control. He's in control of all things. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Does that mean he allows and makes everything that happens in the world happen? No, because what God does in his absolute sovereignty is he gives a little control to you, and he gives a little control to you, and he gives a little control to me. And he gives a little control to every human being through our will. And what do we do with it? We mess it up. (laughs) Oftentimes, we use it and we hurt other people. We use it and we make ourselves the subject of of glory in our lives. We make ourselves God. We seek to do that. And so we take that control he gives us and we usually do the wrong thing with it. Not always. People who follow him end up doing great things with that sense of control that he gives them. But only a controlled God, only a sovereign God could give away some of his control to his beings. But don't forget this. This is the way that I understand the the apparent contradiction between free will and God's control is that this. God has as much control in any and every situation as he wants to. So at any moment, God can supersede your control if he chooses to. He doesn't always do that. But we pray sometimes, don't we? And we say, God, I want you to supersede. I want you to intercede in this moment. And I want you to fix this mess I'm in. (laughs) And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. Because God is free. He's, he's, un, um, he's, un, he's not subject to us. So there's three things I want you to know about God's sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty. And the first is this, I almost said it a second ago, is that God is unhindered. He is completely free. He doesn't have a boundary. He doesn't have anybody over him telling him what to do. He doesn't have anybody coming to him and saying, you can't do that. God is completely unhindered. Do you believe that this morning? And the interesting thing here is that God chooses Cyrus to do an amazing thing, and God's people are not really okay with it because he's not Jewish. 
He's a Gentile. We're all Gentiles, so you ought to be excited about that. God chose a Gentile to do something amazing, right? But they're Jewish and they don't like it. And God says, I'm God. I'm not subject to you, Israel. I'm not subject to what you want. You don't tell me what to do. You don't make the plans for me. You don't set the boundaries for me. I'm God. I'm unhindered by human opinion, even if it's Jewish human opinion. I'm not hindered by social media. I don't care if I get canceled. God says, I am unhindered by human opinion. And he says here in verse seven, I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. And you say, why would God create disaster? Well, here's the, here's the situation. God is going to judge all unrighteousness someday. And when people face God in judgment, that is going to be a personal disaster for them. Hell is disaster. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your savior and you wind up dying without Jesus in your life, you go to a horrible unbelievably horrible place you can't even describe how horrible it is place called hell and for you personally if you don't have Jesus in your life that is the most disastrous thing that could ever happen to you and yes God created hell for the devil and his angels but when we sin against God we find ourselves judged by God and so God didn't do things here the way that his people wanted him to you know what God doesn't have to do things the way we want him to he's not subject to us what do we do? Complain. You didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. You didn't do it the way you did it last time, God. God's unhindered. He's not bound to you. He's not bound to me. So, so what does that mean for us as a church now resetting our search for a pastor? God didn't do this the way we wanted him to, did he? He doesn't have to. He's unhindered by what we think. But does that mean he got it wrong? No. No, God has a plan. And he's working it out. And again, someday I bet we'll look back on it and go, it absolutely had to happen that way. Right now we may not be able to say that except by trusting him and who we know he is. But right now we may not see that. So what do we do? We continue to wait on him as we celebrate the fact that he is completely unhindered. He is absolutely sovereign. So that's the first thing. The second thing that God's absolute sovereignty means is that God is unlimited He's not limited. He has no limit. He is perfect in terms of his knowledge, his power, and his presence. He doesn't have a limit like humans do. No, God's completely unlimited. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, look, I am the Lord, the God of every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. What does God need? Absolutely nothing. He is unlimited in his power, in his knowledge, in his presence. So he doesn't need money, he doesn't need resources, he doesn't lack understanding. God is perfect in all his ways. In fact, I wanna read something to you. I didn't do this in the first service, but I wanna do it today. I wanna to go back, so go back a few chapters to Isaiah 40, because I just want you to hear this, what God says about himself in terms of his limitlessness. Isaiah 40 is a great chapter, and I'm not gonna read all these verses to you because it would take too much time, but especially in verse 12, it says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? He's talking about God himself, God, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand. Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge or showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're considered as a speck of dust on the scales. 
He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, he says. In terms of their power, they're considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter casts or a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They're barely planted. It's barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground. And when he blows on them, they wither and the whirlwind carries them away like stubble. Who will you compare me? That's God. That's your God. Your God is unlimited. He's not needy. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our wisdom. He is completely on his own. So... So when God sends them Cyrus, he has a plan. He's sending them a man that he's going to bless, but he sends them a man who's going to deliver them from their bondage, and they object. (laughs) Does that not sound like you and me? God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. He gives a solution, and we go, I don't really like your solution. (laughs) He's God. He's not limited by what we think or what we like, and he's not having a hard time finding us a pastor. Okay, this will blow your mind. He not only knows who our next pastor is going to be, he knows who every pastor is going to be between now and the time that he comes back. The ones that aren't even born yet. He's speaking to Cyrus 150 to 200 years before he's born and he's telling him all these things he's gonna do. That's your God. (laughs) That's the God who's unlimited by time and space. So he knows who our next pastor is gonna be and you say, well, why didn't this guy wanna be our pastor? It wasn't that. He wanted to be our pastor. He just wasn't supposed to be our pastor. According to him, according to his understanding of God's will in his life. But God's not threatened by that. He's not limited by that. He knows what we're going to need and who it's going to be. And he's not threatened in any way by that. So we continue to celebrate not only God's unhindered character in the sense that he's absolutely sovereign, but we continue to celebrate his unlimited character as well. He's not limited by anything. And then third, what does his absolute sovereignty mean to us? It means that God is unrivaled. Look at these verses here in your Bible in verse 5 and 6. Makes it very clear to Cyrus, I am the Lord, there is no other. Verse 5, there is no God but me. Verse 6, there's no one but me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Could he make it any clearer? Are there other gods? Did the Greeks get it right? Are there gods for all kinds of things? Do other religions get it right when they say, oh no, you worship a different God? There aren't different gods according to God. There's just one God, him. And everything else is fake. (laughs) Everything else is an idol. Everything else is false. But we serve the true living God who is completely unrivaled. There is no God like him anywhere. No one is his rival and certainly humans are not his rival. So last week I talked about that some people seek an idol, they seek a God substitute. Listen, there is no substitute for God. There's no one that can rival him. He says in verse nine here, woe to the one who argues with his maker, one clay pot among many. And literally in the original language, it means one clay shard of a clay pot among many. Can you imagine? 
a broken clay pot, looking at the potter and going, what are you doing? (laughs) Is that absurd? Yeah, that is absurd. That's the point of why he says that. Because that's just as absurd as us looking at God and going, what are you doing? Why didn't you bring this guy to be our pastor? Why don't you get us a pastor? Why is it taking so long? Clay to potter. He's the potter. And he's unhindered and he's unlimited and he's unrivaled in who he is. So the problem we have is that we tend to think great thoughts about humans and little thoughts about God. We got our telescope backwards. Really, when you read the word of God, what you understand is that you begin to think great, like Isaiah 40, you begin to think great thoughts of God and then you begin to see humans in their proper perspective. Grasshoppers. (laughs) The nations are as nothing. What are we afraid of? China? Are we afraid of Russia? They're grasshoppers. To God, when you understand who God is, your God is unrivaled, completely unique and one of a kind. So... Our culture gets it wrong, but we don't have to. So what's the application of this for Marbury? Well, though, though a search for a pastor is a human process, it is. All the people that are on our search committee are humans, just like you. <laughs> but they're people who love the Lord, people who want good things for our church, people who have integrity. God uses humans. He used Cyrus in this situation to deliver his people. But God very much had a plan. God very much wanted to use this person. That's why he set him apart even before he was born So Cyrus is not the savior. He's not a replacement for God. He's just clay in the potter's hand, doing what God created him to do, serving God faithfully. And Cyrus wasn't perfect, but he was good at what he did, and he was blessed by God. He brought excellence to the table, and that's exactly what our committee brings to the table. They're people of integrity. I know you know them personally. They're people of high character, excellence, but they're people just like you and I, and they want to serve the Lord. So yes, there's a human process, and I mentioned this a minute ago. These people have made great sacrifices on our behalf. They've said no to their families about stuff over the last year so that they could meet together and give their full attention to what they're seeking to do, and that's lead us and find our next pastor. So we should have great appreciation for them because they've made a sacrifice for Jesus on our behalf. They're seeking to be clay in the potter's hands. Last thing our committee wants to do is be a God substitute. They're not trying to take God's place. They want desperately to hear from God. They want desperately to know his will and to know what he's leading them to. There's this great story in Exodus chapter 17. You'll remember the story. It's the story of Moses, and he's leading the people through the, to the promised land through the wilderness, and they face Amalek, and they got to fight the Amaleks, Amalekites, whatever their name were. Anyway, and there's this battle going on down in the valley, and Moses is smart. He's up on the top of the mountain, and he's observing from the mountain top. Him and Aaron and her are up there watching the whole battle, but this interesting thing happens. So he sends the warriors down to fight the battle, and as long as Moses raises up his hands as just a symbol of saying, God, we can't do this without you, it's you. It's about you. We don't have any strength on our own. We have no military might. We have no political power. It's all about you. You blessed us. You're our God. We're your people. So as long as he raises his hands up to God, the people of Israel prevail. But as soon as he drops his arms, Amalek prevails. So I don't know if you've ever tried to hold your arms up for very long. They're not super heavy, but after a while, it starts to hurt. You know, your shoulders hurt, your neck hurts, your back starts to hurt. 
And you're like, that's exactly what happened to Moses. I mean, all day long, he's got his hands up and he's getting tired and he starts to drop his arms and the battle starts to go the other way. And so Aaron and her are like, let's get some rocks. They're pretty creative guys. They're like, let's get some rocks. We'll stack them up on either side and we'll help hold his arms up with the rocks. And that's exactly what they did. But they didn't stop there because it says they also came alongside of Moses and they steadied his arms. So he could keep his arms up to the Lord as a way of saying, I submit to you, God, as your leader. And I, and I want to do your will. We wanted, this is about you. We're not winning the battle because of us. We're winning the battle because of you. And they went on and won the battle. And so that's a perfect picture of what we get to do for this search committee. Do you know that? We prayed for them. You got that little booklet over a year ago whenever this process started and had their pictures in it with their bio information. And hopefully you've worn that thing out as you prayed for them every day. Some of you raised your hand and committed to pray every day for them. And I don't know if you have or not, but if you haven't, it's time to re-up. To say, I wanna lift these folks up every single day to you, God, and, and trust what you're gonna do in their lives. And so this morning, we have a chance to do that. We have a chance to celebrate God's absolute sovereignty, but to also hold up these people's arms, to encourage them. So I would encourage you to do a couple of things. One, buy somebody on this search committee a meal. Send them a gift card or, or take a meal to their house. They all have means. They don't need finances. I understand that. But as a way of telling them, we're not mad at y'all. We're not upset with you. We're still with you. We're still behind you. And if we could physically come and hold up your arms, we would do that. Because we're one. One church. And we want to help you. We want to hold your arms up. So buy them a meal. Take them a gift card. Write them a note of encouragement. Man, Sometimes you guys write me notes of encouragement and it's usually exactly when I need it because you're following the Holy Spirit to do that. So do that for these folks. Find one or two of them and, and do something very tangible to say to them because it's a reset for them. I wouldn't say it's starting over because they've learned some things that they needed to know as they move forward. But it's a reset and they need to be encouraged by us. So, so here's the way I want us to end this morning. We're gonna, the worship team's gonna come up in just a minute and we're gonna celebrate this amazing God who is absolutely sovereign. We're gonna get a chance to sing back to him, to say to him what we love about him and acknowledge what we've already talked about from his word. But we're also gonna, gonna take a moment today and pray individually by name for each of these folks on our search committee. So we've done that before. We're gonna do that again this morning. But it shouldn't end there. It's just a start. It's a way for you to say, hey, God, show me how I can serve these folks, how I can help them, how I can let them know that we're with them. So I'm gonna ask you just to pray with me this morning. I'm gonna lead us through just naming these different committee members to you this morning and take some time just to begin to lift them up. So let's pray together. Father, today we again lift up this committee to you. We thank you that you have chosen each of these people individually. You know every one of them by name. You know the hairs on their head, the details of their lives. You know the struggles that they've been through this year. You know the sacrifice, they've done it for you. You are worthy of the sacrifice and every one of them would say that I know. But I also know they've missed time with their families and they've made, um, they've made this a priority for you and for us. And so I pray that you would multiply their time, that you would replenish their souls today. And I wanna lift these up individually to you today, God. So first of all, this morning, lift up Lanny Davis, who spoke to you just a few minutes ago, who's the chairman of our pastor search committee. Just lift he and his family up this morning.
And then I pray, I want to ask you to pray instead for this morning for Cody Bailey and his family. Cody's the vice chairman of the search committee. So lift him up this morning, his family. And then lift up Greg Martin. Greg serves as a staff liaison to the pastor search committee. Lift up he and his family. And then Brother Ramel Kaywich, lift up Ramel and his family today. And then Eric McCrory, lift up Eric and his family. Chris Scott, lift up Chris and his family today. Lisa Smith, lift up Lisa and her family. Karina Duke, lift up Karina and her family. Melanie Ralph, lift up Melanie and her family this morning. Renee Robertson, lift up Renee and her family. James McLemore, lift up James and his family today. Mitch Fortner, lift up Mitch and his family today. God, you've chosen a great committee of people. And we pray for them, for their strength, for their renewal, for, for, for passion, God, for, for energy as they continue to seek you. And Lord, I pray very soon that you would lead them to the person that you have to lead our church. Thank you, God, that you are completely, absolutely sovereign. We worship you now in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.